All right, here's what I want you to do. I want all of you right now to look at your shoes. Look at them. Okay? How much time did you take actually, you know, looking at your shoes today when you put them on your feet? And what, 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 kind, of, what kind of shoe you got on, huh? What, what, what are you guys wearing? How many people here are sneaker people tonight? Just, yeah, just good old sneaks, right? We got, we got anyone have any of those, those sweet thigh highs, huh? Huh? Anyone got those, those guys on? No? Any flip-flops? Any, any, yeah, we got some flip-flops here. There we go, yep. You're from California, that doesn't count. <laughs> right? There's lots of kind of shoes, aren't there? We got all kinds of shoes. Any, we have any like crazy shoe people here? You know what I'm talking about, right? Come on, crazy shoe. I'm, I'm seeing some, some husbands pointing at wives right now. <laughs> and a wife pointing at a husband. Nice! <laughs> right? Some people have like lots of shoes. It's their thing, right? They got my closet full of shoes. Isaac, I know that's you, brother. Right? You're totally a shoe guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, why did you pick out those shoes that you're wearing right now? <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> why, Jeremy, did you pick out this? Just like comfort? Easy. Easy. Yeah, comfort. <laughs> Some of us pick out our shoes for style, right? Some of us want to look good, have it all, the outfit all together, right? Pull it all together. Right, Charles? Yeah, Charles, yeah. <laughs> well, today we get to talk a little bit about spiritual shoes and the shoes that we're called to wear for wartime. There's, there's like peacetime shoes, right? And there's, there's wartime shoes. And we get to talk about the wartime shoes of spiritual warfare. We're in the middle of a sermon series on spiritual warfare called This is War, where we're studying how the enemy comes against the children of God, how the enemy will do all kinds of scheming to try to get us to fall victim to whatever lies he's speaking. And we've studied the belt of truth, the first piece of the armor, and the breastplate of righteousness, and now we turn our attention to the third piece of armor, which are the shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace. Officially the longest named piece of armor, <laughs> and the one that's probably the most misunderstood, because it's got so many like parts of its name. What is it? What's it actually supposed to do? And so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, and we're going to break down the shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace. So if you turn there, Ephesians 6, 15, as you turn, I'm going to pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you and praise you that you are the God of peace. And that no matter what is going on in our lives, we can find peace in you and in your Son, Jesus, through the Spirit that you give us, your Holy Spirit. And right now, Lord, I pray that I would be fully yielded to you, that you would speak through me, that the words that come out of my lips are yours alone. And I pray that our hearts would all be 
fully yielded to you as well. That you would be able to show us what is in there that we may be more conformed to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we dive into the shoes, I want to briefly just kind of recap how we know the enemy to work. And this is very important. We want to keep dripping this in so that we are familiar with the schemes of the enemy so that we are able to stand firm against them with the armor that we put on every day. And so, it starts, of course, with the fact that all the enemy does, you want to know how the enemy works? This is what he does over and over again. It always starts with a lie. Every time. The enemy always begins, no matter what scheme he is aiming towards, it always begins with a lie. The enemy is the father of lies. All he can do is speak lies. That's what comes out of him. John 8, says that. And, and he uses these lies to sometimes entice our flesh or to seek to, to crush us with the pressures of the culture around us or just with the circumstances of life. It always starts with a lie. And that lie is then calculated to lead to basically one of four schemes. He doesn't have a lot of tricks up his sleeve. It's basically one of four things, and perhaps multiple at one time, that he tries to do. He will, he will try to fill our hearts, our minds, and our relationships with one of these four things. One, doubt or disbelief. Number two, disunity. Number three, discouragement, or number four, despair, despairing hopelessness. Deception that leads to one of these schemes. And pretty much all throughout Scripture, every time you see the enemy of God appearing He is lying for the purpose of doing one of these four things every single time. And these four things are calculated to do one of three things. They're calculated to either steal your peace, kill your joy, or destroy your testimony. Every time. He follows this pattern every single time. This is what the enemy does. He's not creative. In fact, the enemy has no ability to create whatsoever. Our God is the creator, amen? He is the one who is the copycat, trying to be like God at all times, which is why he is the father of lies. John 10.10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he does. That's what he does. Praise God, Jesus says right after that, that I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Amen? And so, it's really, okay, there you go, devil. That's what you do. But here's the thing. He's really good at what he does. He's good at it. He knows how to get to us. 
He knows our hearts better than we know our hearts. He knows how to speak lies to us that have been believed generationally within our families. And those things continue down the line until the Spirit of God breaks those chains. The enemy's good, but praise God, he who is in us is greater than he who's in the world. Amen? Amen. The problem is that the devil, our flesh, and this world system refuse to acknowledge that they have already been defeated. And so they continue to plan and scheme and attack, and, and most Christians, very sadly, are oblivious to the danger all around them. And so oftentimes we go through life just waiting for the attack to come, kind of in a lackadaisical spirituality where we're oftentimes powerless and ineffective disciples of Jesus. This is the whole point of this series. We want to be mindful of these schemes so that we can be prepared when the attack comes to stand firm against the enemy and push forward into what the Lord has for us. Now, we've been looking at Ephesians 6, but I want us, I want us to I want to help ground us here. See, the Lord has called us to put on the armor of God, but the armor of God is, in Ephesians 6, really a um, further explanation of what Paul writes about earlier in Romans, which was a letter he likely wrote before Ephesians. Um, We don't know the exact order of them all, but in Romans chapter 13, very important, Paul writes, Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We are to put on the armor of light, which is Jesus Christ. Our identity in Jesus Christ, that is the armor of light, and that identity of who we are as children of God, that armor of light is then further specified as the armor of God in Ephesians 6. It's very important for us to see here that every single one of these pieces of the armor in Ephesians 6, it represents an aspect of our identity as children of God. And our identity is the armor of light, which pushes back the works of darkness. We understanding this? This is, this is very important in terms of the spiritual warfare that we encounter because the chief lie that the enemy will speak to you at all times is that you don't really want to be a child of God. You want to be like God. He's constantly trying to get us to elevate ourselves to be like God. What was, what was the first thing that he said to Eve in the garden? After he said, oh, you're not going to die. Hey, just, just eat the apple and then what will happen? You will be like God. That's what he's always trying to do. Whereas 
the Spirit of God inside of us is constantly leading us to keep our eyes on Jesus, leading us to the truth, and telling us, hey, guess what? You have been invited into the fullness of God, adopted into His family as His children. He's got it all under control. You don't need to worry about it at all. And that might sound like a a subtle difference, but it's a huge difference. One, I'm in control. The other, God's in control. And that's the lie that the enemy is always trying to shift on us. So the armor of God here is all about our identity and withstanding those schemes that are calculated to get us not to walk in our identity. And so today we turn to the third piece of the armor of God which are the shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace, all right? All kind of critical introduction, just generally speaking, take that and apply it to every single piece of this armor. Ultimately, it comes down to our identity and a different aspect of it. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15 says, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, we're going to look at this in three parts. We're going to look at the historicity of the shoes, the spirituality of the shoes, and the practicality of the shoes. Those are our three sections. We got a sweet Roman legionnaire there, and there are the shoes. The shoes that those legionnaires wore. They were called caligae. If you want to, here's your... Fancy, pinky word for the day, Caligai. It, it almost kind of sounds Australian a little bit. If we got Chloe up here, it'd be like, Caligai, you know, it's kind of like, kind of like that, you know, good eye, bugger, killer, all right. What else can I, can I keep going, Chloe? No, she's like, you're awful, <laughs> right? Caligai. And they were specifically designed to keep soldiers' feet healthy during the rigors of the long forced marches that they took. And they were, they were very different from the sandals that the typical Roman citizen wore. They were usually constructed from three thick layers of leather at the soles. And then they would have other leather straps that came up and bound around the feet and ankles. And they were to hold very firmly to the foot so that the foot would be protected against blisters and diseases and rough terrain and make sure that little pebbles wouldn't find their way in because it was stuck right on there very tightly to give lots of support to the feet. In addition, as you can see in the bottom of the picture there, these Caligai would have small spikes or iron hobnails which were driven into the soles of the shoes in order to give them firm footing in uneven or slippery terrain. Think of football cleats or track shoes, right? We'd still do that today, right? And, And some soldiers also wore shin guard type of armor which were called leg greaves Um, that were attached to the shoes for even more protection. Now, anyone here ever stepped on a Lego before? (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, okay, you're feeling me on this one. Okay, I, we got this, right? I can't tell you how many times I have gone into my children's room at night, lights are off, I'm feeling like, oh, I'm gonna go and tuck you in and love on you and pray with you the Lord's blessing, and I go in and it's like, Damn! oh, man, I do not feel like praying right now. Pray for yourselves. <laughs> and then pick your room up in the morning, Right? Those Legos are the bane of my prayer life at night. <laughs> it hurts, right? Those stinking little fiendish plastic things. Yeah. I think Lego means devil in Belgium, I think. That's like, <laughs> isn't that, isn't like from Belgium? Where are they from? Dutch? Denmark? Yeah, those dirty Dutch. All right. Um, <laughs> well... It hurts to step on something, right? And we've got to remember how difficult the terrain was for the military guys fighting back. They didn't, they didn't fight on like nice carpeted terrain or like nice, you know, turf fields. We're going to come together. It was, it was brutal. It was, it was scorching hot sand, jagged stones with tiny pebbles that could quickly cause blisters, thorns and thistles all over the place. I mean, it's the same terrain that our military guys are fighting in today, um, except we got like sweet military boots now, right? Military guys here, sweet military boots, and they had sandals, but they were good sandals, right? And now, on top of that, the Roman Empire would often face enemies who would put obstacles in their way in the battlefield. And they'd put spiked objects on the ground in front of them so that as the Roman legions advanced, if the soldiers weren't careful, they could step on one and they were in a world of hurt. Because at best, they'd be unable to fight, having to limp around with a lame foot, or at worst, they'd try to fight and probably get killed because they wouldn't be able to stand firm against the attack. See how that works there? See what Paul's driving at here? See, the shoes were by no means the most well-known part of the soldier's armor, but they were vital to effectively defending against the enemy. And you can ask any member of the military today that if you do not protect your feet and keep them in good shape, you're in for a world of hurt. It's just the way it is. You have got to protect your feet. You have got to have good footwear. Because if a soldier lacks sturdy shoes, then that soldier is not prepared for battle. And right here, that little tidbit, that's the spiritual truth that Paul is teaching us as he exhorts us to shod our feet in the shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace. So now we look to part two, the spirituality of the shoes. Now, in order to understand the spiritual significance of what Paul is driving at here, we got to understand a little bit of the Greek construction of this sentence as well as several Greek words. And you, uh, again, can see Paul writes, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, when many of us think of this part of the armor, when you go through the armor, how many, just be honest, right? How many of you thought of the shoes as the shoes of peace? Yeah, yeah, very common. You liars. 
You know, there is a belt of truth that you're not wearing. How many of you, when you think of the shoes, used to think of the shoes of peace? Wow, you guys are way smarter than me then. All right, fine. I thought it was just the shoes of peace, but it's the shoes of readiness. But you guys apparently all knew that, so why am I even preaching? I'm just going to go home because they know all this stuff already, Lord. Shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace. See, in the Greek, the phrase shoes for your feet is actually coupled with the word readiness, not with the word peace. So these are the shoes of readiness. It's not the shoes of peace. And this is important because overcoming the enemy isn't just a matter of having peace which we'll define that in a second. Overcoming the enemy, standing firm against the attack, is possible when we are in a state of readiness to respond to the attack, to do whatever the Lord calls us to do in that moment, whatever situation that may be, because of the peace that we have knowing who our commander is. Peace without readiness is no good for battle. I can't just be like, oh, I'm tranquil and in my little state of harmony, right? I'm going to get slaughtered because I'm not ready, because I'm meditating, oming over here in the corner, right? You're dead. Great. Good. You're, I'm glad you're tranquil. You're dead because you weren't ready. But the only way that as we'll see, we can be ready is if we trust our commander, if we have peace from him. The Greek word for readiness means preparedness, alertness, and confidence to act quickly and decisively. That last part's very important. Confidence to act quickly and decisively. Paul is telling us here that in order to stand firm against the enemy, we have to be alert to the enemy, prepared to act, and confident to respond the way that we're directed to. And here's where a lot of the confusion comes in in this piece of armor. See, this isn't readiness to go somewhere and preach the gospel as is often preached from this passage. This is readiness to stand firm against whatever attack may come because of the peace we have from the good news of Jesus Christ. This isn't about readiness to go and preach. This is readiness to stand firm as we're watching and waiting. Look back at verse 14. What's the first word in verse 14 there, if you have the ESV translation? The word is stand. This is not going, this is standing firm. The point here is not evangelizing the lost or, or preaching the gospel. The point here is fighting the devil. This isn't evangelism for an unbeliever. This is, this is warfare for a Christian. And we've got to be ready for that warfare. So where does readiness come from? Well, as we've said now multiple times, 
It's given by the gospel of peace. And right here, remember the little intro, right here is where our identity in Christ comes into play. Here's where we're putting on the armor of light, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, our identity as sons of our Heavenly Father and younger brothers and sisters of Jesus Himself, right? The Greek word for peace refers to the state of untroubled, undisturbed tranquility despite the circumstances in which we find ourselves. It refers to remaining whole. We have shalom, which is the Hebrew word for peace, no matter what chaos abounds around us. In, in its verb form, it means to bind or weave together. Basically, it means you have the ability to hold it together no matter what is going on around us. Now again, that by itself, if all we do is just have this peace and aren't keeping our eyes out for the enemy, we're in trouble. It's peace that prepares us and lets us be ready for whatever attack comes. Peace leads to readiness so that we can stand firm. Pastor Austin read it at the beginning of the service. Jesus said in John chapter 14, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. See, the world's idea of peace, and this is important that we get this, the world's idea of peace is always dependent on the circumstances around us. Always. If you're healthy, if you're in a good relationship, if you're making money, if you have success, power, prestige, well, then you're at peace. That's what the world says, right? The problem is that our circumstances are constantly changing. And what we think we have one minute can be gone the next minute. And then there's no peace, at least as the world says, that you should have it. Romans 3.17 says, And the way of peace the world has not known. In spite of all human attempts at peace, all we need to do is just observe the world. And you'll see that our world has no idea how to find peace apart from Jesus Christ. But thankfully, Jesus says, <laughs> He doesn't give us the peace like the world gives it. Amen? Our peace in Christ is unshakable because it's not at all dependent on the circumstances of life. The reason for that is because our peace in Christ emanates out of our identity as children of God, which is unchanging, which is unshakable, which cannot be removed. To the world, peace comes from being free from trouble, but for the disciple of Jesus, peace comes because we've been set free by Jesus. 
We have been adopted into the family of God, and there is nothing that can change that. For we who are in Christ, by the grace of God, through faith in Jesus. Therefore, we can have real, true shalom, peace, true wholeness and confidence, even in the midst of the tribulation all around us. Jesus said in John 16, 33, right at the end of the upper room discourse where he's talking with his disciples for the last time and he's kind of encouraging them. He's like, all right, guys, this is what you're doing. This is the way it's going. And he's encouraging them. Tell them about the Holy Spirit. Tell them about how they're going to be able to do the same things that he has done. And then at the very end of it, right before he goes off and prays, he said, hey, 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 I have told you all this stuff so that in me you might have peace. Because in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have, he didn't say you might. It, it might, from time to time, you know, you might maybe kind of, if you're just having a bad day, or maybe you screw up, you know, maybe, maybe you're a really bad sinner, or maybe, you know, you just make a bad decision. You might maybe, may, maybe have some, maybe, maybe. May, no, there's no maybes. No maybes. You will. That's a, that's, a, that's a promise. How many of you want to hold fast to that promise in Scripture, huh? You will have tribulation. Praise God, he didn't just stop his sentence right there. What does he say? But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Amen? Amen? And when we're in Christ, we too are overcomers. And now we need to sing Mandisa. I'm an overcomer, right? That's what we are, right? In Christ, don't laugh at me, Anita. I'm being laughed at right now, not with. (laughs) Right? This is the reality of the gospel of peace. This is the good news that that Jesus Christ has overcome sin and death and he has set us free to have peace with God, peace with others, and peace within ourselves. That's the gospel. That's good news, is it not? The more we walk in the fullness of the good news, the more our identity is shaped by who God says we are, And by what God is doing in us. And the more peace we'll have and the more strongly we'll stand firm against the enemy ready for the attack. Well, you might wonder, well, what is the gospel? What is the fullness of the gospel? Is that it? Jesus died and I'm saved and that's like, that's it. I have peace in that? Well, no, actually there's a whole lot more to it than that. And if you want to know what is the gospel, I would encourage you, go on our website. And we preached a little mini-series on it at the end of 2015. And the title of that little two-sermon mini-series, you want to guess what the title of that two-sermon mini-series was? It's called, What is the Gospel? It's this really creative name that we came up with. Go listen to it, and you will hear the fullness of of what Scripture describes as the gospel. I'm just going to give it to you in short. 
real, real short, here it is. The fullness of the gospel, think of, remember this acronym, the fullness of the gospel should stir us up. It should stir us up by God's grace in faith. The fullness of the gospel is salvation, transformation, invitation, and restoration in Christ. Salvation, transformation, invitation, and restoration in Christ. And we break those things down in depth in that sermon series. But in short, when we submit to Jesus Christ by acknowledging our inability to please God by ourselves and putting all of our trust, all of our hope, all of our confidence in Christ, we're forgiven and set free by the grace of God. Amen? We are saved. Praise God. Amen? Amen. I mean, that's like a big amen. Right? There is salvation in Christ alone, by faith alone, through the grace of God alone. But the good news doesn't stop there, which is good news, is it not? Because if all this life was about just, hey, I'm saved, now what? Right? No, 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 no. There's more to it than that. Not only is there salvation in Christ, but the, but the good news says that the Holy Spirit, once we're saved, seals us, empowers us, leads us, transforms us. The Bible uses the word sanctification. He sanctifies us to be more and more like Him. How many of, all, of you all are glad that the person you are today is not the person you were 10 years ago? Am I the only one who's thankful for that? Right? Right? Is that not good news that the Spirit of God transforms us? I'm spitting out my mint here. I'm so excited. Got my back up. Front row, it's a spit zone here, all right? I'm coming after you. We are saved by Jesus Christ, and we are transformed in Christ through the power of the Spirit. Amen? That's good news. But he doesn't just save us and transform us so we can be like, hey, I'm awesome. No, no, no. He saves us and transforms us because he gives us an invitation. And he says, hey, David, I love you, brother. I got work for you to do, brother. Bring Lisa along, too. Come on, right? And he invites us into the work that he is doing all throughout the world. You each have unique gifts and talents and abilities and education and experiences and opportunities. All kinds of cool stuff that only you have. And guess what? Jesus says, I want to use that for my glory in building my kingdom. Is that not cool? Right? How many of you are wondering, well, I wonder what the purpose of life is. Let's think about this metaphysical question. And Jesus is like, serve me, and it'll be awesome for you. There's your purpose. Boom, go. Right? You, we all have a purpose in Christ. He all made us to do something unique for his glory. And, by the way, I, I will guarantee you this. This is a promise If you are serving the Lord, there is nothing that is more encouraging in your life at any time than when you see the Lord using you 
to touch someone else's life and bringing truth and love into their hearts. When you see that, there is nothing more encouraging. I promise you, you'll be blown away. You'll, you'll nof- want to do nothing more than say, praise you, Lord, because that's awesome, what you just did right there. That is how it works. That's good news. Salvation, transformation, invitation. And how many of you all are just sick of the brokenness of this world? Like, come on. Well, hey, I got some more good news for you. Jesus is going to restore this entire world one day when he returns. Amen? Amen? And there will be no more brokenness. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sin. There will be no more tears, no more sickness, no more war. Nothing, because Jesus is going to remake it all. It's going to be all restored to glory. And that's some pretty good news That's the fullness of the gospel right there. And the more that our minds are fixed on that, the more peace that we'll have no matter what is going on and the way that we'll be able to stand firm when the enemy comes against us with those lies to get us to fall into one of those schemes to steal our peace, kill our joy, or destroy our testimony, right? So how? How do we... How do we do that? How do we, how do we focus on the gospel of peace? Well, in these last few minutes, let's turn to the practicality of wearing the shoes. Now, when our feet are injured, maybe it's a fracture or sores, maybe some of us had bad arches, you know what I'm talking about, like maybe some bunions, any bunion, bunions here? No? Well, you typically, you're not very sure-footed. You might walk around with a limp. Well, the word that we use to describe a person or statement that's poor-footed is lame. We We also call, well, my kids call me lame a lot. And... Several of you are thinking this sermon is rather lame right now, right? It's just kind of like a blah. You're like, just really, dude? Blah, lame, lame. And here's the reality, though. Sadly, there are far too many lame Christians walking around with a limp, unprepared and unready because they've not submitted to the truth of the gospel. It just happens. And it could be in a certain area of our life. It might not be overall, but in this area of my life, I am lame because I'm not submitting to the truth of the gospel. Now, I keep using that word submitting, and we've talked about this before, and we're going to talk about it again because it's so important. There's a difference between knowing the truth. You all just heard an explanation of the fullness of the gospel. You can take notes on that, and you can memorize that. Stir, okay, acronym, got it, got it, got it. Okay, got it, yeah, memorize, know it. There's a difference between knowing something and submitting to something. And saying, not only do I know that truth, but I'm going 
to be guided by that truth. That truth has power in my life to direct the way I think, to instruct the way I act. That is being submitted to that truth. Because I can say I know something all I want, but if it has no power to actually affect how I lived, I have not submitted to it, and therefore, it has no power in my life. I mean, how many people here know someone who knows the Bible really, really well? Like, they could quote, boo, 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 scripture, scripture, scripture. But there's no spiritual power in their life because what they know is just what they know. It's not what they've submitted to. There are lots of amazing Bible scholars out there, guys who know Hebrew and Greek, women who can teach you the Bible inside and out in academia. And there is no power in their life because they know truth, but they don't submit to it. Instead of walking in our identity as children of God, we put on other shoes. Shoes from the world. And when we don't wear the right shoes, we're going to come up lame. Anyone ever get, like, a new pair of sneakers and then go for a run? Yeah, or, or worse yet, not even wear running shoes and, like, just go to try to go for a run or do something? I tried to play flip-flop play basketball with flip-flops one time. Not only did I destroy my flip-flops, but my feet were also blistered, and I tore all the skin off of them. But I won the game. <laughs> totally worth it. Right? If we don't wear the right shoes, we're going to come up lame. And sometimes we choose the shoes that the world says are cool or that our friends are pressuring us to wear. Sometimes you just wear the shoes that I want to wear because these are the ones I like. These are my favorite. I'm putting them on because that's what I want to do. And can you imagine a soldier going to war wearing scuba flippers? I just want you to picture that right now. I'm going to go to war wearing my scuba flippers, right? Like, can't even walk in those things. Yet, that is exactly what many of us do every day as we wear the shoes of the world into battle. And here's how we can know if that's what we're doing. We can know we're wearing the wrong shoes if we are not experiencing the peace of God. And if we find ourselves seeking after the things that the world says will give us peace, and then we have no peace when our circumstances change and our lives are thrown into chaos. If that's us, then at least in that area of your life, then we're a lame Christian. And we're open to attack because we're confused, we're, we're ineffective. And, and Scripture says, 
God is not a God of confusion. He is a God of peace. So how do we strap on these shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace? Well, Scripture shows us at least four hardy leather straps that we can strap on here. And we're going to blaze through these. Number one, we are to be saved by the God of peace. We've talked about this. This is all about our identity. This is all about walking in the fullness of the gospel, starting with the salvation of Christ. If you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, I'm not trying to be a jerk when I say it's impossible for you to have peace. You cannot have peace apart from Christ. There's only one way for you to have true peace in this life, and that is through submission to Jesus. That's it. But once you have been justified by faith, Romans 5 says, you will have peace with God through Jesus Christ. The more we walk in our identity as children of God, the more true peace we'll have and the more prepared we'll be when the attack of the enemy comes. But number two, we're not just saved by the God of peace, we need to be settled by the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, whose mind is fixed on you, because he trusts in you. Perfect peace in the Hebrew, it literally is shalom, shalom. Perfect peace. You've probably heard the story of a little girl who is flying by herself in an airplane. And she was sitting by the window, and as the plane went along, it hit a pocket of turbulence and started bouncing up and down, going everywhere. Anyone ever here been on a real turbulent flight before? You know, it's like, it's kind of freaky, right? Like, oh my goodness, what's going on? Right? Well, this plane is bucking and juking and jiving, and then not only does it hit turbulence, now it flies into the middle of a thunderstorm. Yay, thunder. No, not yay, thunder when you're in a plane, right? There's lightning and thunder, like, cracking all around the plane, and it's so bad, the plane is moving so much that the people on the plane are freaking out. People crying, people whimpering, people right, strapped into their seats as hard as they can. And the man next to the little girl looks over at her and he sees that she is just there looking out the window. Hmm. Watching the lightning. Whoa, that was a big one. And the man leans over and he's like, how are you so calm right now? And what'd she say? Who knows the story? What'd she say? She said, my daddy's the pilot. My daddy has everything under control. That little girl had an unshakable peace in the midst of the storm because she knew who her daddy was and that he loved her and had everything under control. At least that's the way she saw it in her mind. 
And that's the same type of peace we can have the more we keep our mind fixed on our Heavenly Father, the more we keep our mind fixed on our elder brother Jesus Christ, what He has done for us, the more that we seek to have the Spirit of God lead us into that peace. Be settled by the Prince of Peace. Number three, we are to be steadied by the Word of Peace. Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. The more we learn and memorize the word of God and submit to its truth, the more that we will have peace. The readier we'll be when the attack comes and we will not stumble when that happens. Be steadied by the word of peace and finally, be steered by the spirit of peace. Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Remember from our last series, Root to Fruit, peace is part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's one of the aspects of the fruit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, etc. Right? The more that we are walking by the power of the Spirit of God, the more that He will produce peace within us, the more that we will dive into Scripture, submit to its truth, so that we can keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, knowing confidently who we are as children of God. Those are the straps. Boom, boom, boom. Lace them up. Right? If we are doing these four things by the grace of God... We will be ready when the attack comes. Otherwise, if we don't, we'll live chaotic and confused lives. We'll be lame soldiers in the spiritual warfare. And that brings us back to the shoes that we're wearing today. Look again down at your shoes. Now, Ask yourself, are you wearing shoes that are ready for battle? Do you have on the shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace? What areas of my life am I not prepared for war? Regardless of your answer, the good news is that by the grace of God, we still have the opportunity to strap on the shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace. He will give us the peace so that we can stand firm and prepared, alert and confident to act no matter the situation around us. Sometimes he'll even send you an alert when it's time to put them on. Like, all right, wake up and go. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. And that is my prayer for all of us tonight. Amen?